What a great time of worship together and to be in God's house and be reminded of his goodness is so awesome. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Again, welcome for being, to being here, and I want to welcome those that are also joining online. We are in week two of our new series called The Exodus. The Exodus is one of the most foundational stories in the Bible. It's not just about Exodus, the second book in the Bible. It's about the Exodus story that follows the people of God, the Hebrews, the Israelites, and I'll use those terms interchangeably throughout the the series, uh, as the people of God, the people that God chose to reveal himself to, to be a blessing to all the nations. It is this people that we follow through this journey called the Exodus. And so we've been looking at that story, and we began last week talking about captivity. The story begins with the people of God stuck in Egypt. They're now slaves in Egypt. They've been there for hundreds of years. Kind of wondered, how did they get stuck there? And, and, and you know, many, many years before that, you know, 400 years prior to where we pick up the story, they were looking for grain and for, you know, during a famine, and, and the people of God settled there and eventually became slaves. And so we began the series talking about captivity. And what do we do in captivity? Because our stories begin in captivity. Whether we realize it or not, maybe we aren't physically held captive, but maybe spiritually, emotionally, relationally, the things that we deal with in our lives, they hold us captive. And they come back at different times, different things in different stages of our life hold us captive. How do we walk out and find freedom? And we talked about being in captivity and crying out to God. What does it look like to cry out to God? And that was the one thing where it feels like we're helpless to do anything else, but the people cried out to God, and in that moment, he heard them, and he answered their cry for help. And we began the story of the Exodus just realizing that what do we do when we're captive is we cry out to God. And in that moment, it's a way of confessing, it's a way of saying to God, I can't do this on my own, I need your help. And then to trust God, to know that he's working even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, that God is working behind the scenes beginning to bring rescue as he started doing through Moses, preparing him for 80 years to come and to begin to lead his people out. And as he comes and he tells them that it's time for rescue to come, the people began to worship. And ironic, isn't it, that they were still in captivity, still in this place, but yet they worship God. And we can do that even in our difficult times. And it's a way of saying, God, I trust you. God, I hold on to you. God, I believe that you are going to come and rescue. Because all their life they had been focusing on this promised land, this amazing land flowing with milk and honey. Would they ever get there? And as slaves dreaming about this place to have a call their own, and yet they, they couldn't get there for hundreds of years. But rescue was on the way. And today I want to shift into this next part. We're going to pick up the story and we're going to move from being held captive to what does rescue look like when rescue actually comes. Now, when you came in, you guys have all been fidgeting with this little thing, haven't you? Isn't it great? Should we give you a little fidget toy every week? See, this is one thing you don't get if you watch online. We can't, you know, give, get that to you. But um, have, you, have you guys seen these before? I loved these as a kid. You guys know what it is? How many of you stuck your fingers on either end? It's a Chinese finger trap. Okay, so if you have one, go ahead and get that out right now. All right? I know you've wanted to play with it. It's okay to play in church. We're so generous here with this amazing, you know, gift you got coming to church today. But this little device always intrigued me because what happens is the more you put your fingers in there, the tighter it gets. And then when you try to get out, what happens? You're stuck, and it gets stuck more and more, and it gets tighter and tighter. And this, to me, was just something I thought about this week when I think about our captivity. When I think about feeling stuck, when we get to a place where where we go, I can't get out, and I'm working hard, and I'm trying hard, and I want to find some freedom. 
And this just became for me this illustration of what happens in our life. What is it that's holding you captive? How are you stuck? Think about that. And I want you to put this in a place this week as you think about this series and go, what are the things that are holding me back? What is something that is keeping me trapped? And how do I find rescue? How do I find freedom? Because as we pick up the story, what we realize is, just like in this situation, that sometimes things get worse before they get better. That even though rescue is promised, rescue is on the way, the story isn't always written the way that we imagine in our life. Remember, we always have a plan for God. We know how he can handle our situation. But it was different for the Israelites. And today, there's one thing that I want to focus on as we think about our struggle, and we're going to come back to it, but it's this. That the only path to true freedom is total surrender. That the only path to true freedom is total surrender. And it goes against everything that we think. It goes against the way that we imagine freedom and and finding our our hope. But this is the path forward. And so we're going to pick up the story today. As I said, the, the people were in captivity. They cried out. Moses had come. He told them that God heard their plea and that he was going to rescue them. And they began to worship. And now as we pick up the story, it's time for Moses to go before Pharaoh. Right? King over all of Egypt, the most powerful man alive in that day. He goes before him and he tells him, here, this is what the Lord said. He told me that you're, you need to let my people go. You need to let us go out in the wilderness to worship every man, woman, child, all of us. We all go out and you need to let us leave. And Pharaoh was like, no problem. 400 years of slavery, you go. No, he didn't say that at all. Here's what he said, Exodus 5 verse 2. He says, is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And uh, who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Okay, so that didn't work. I mean, God told you to let the people go, right? There's a plan. There's a plan in place. Moses goes before Pharaoh. This is the way it's supposed to happen, and now he's supposed to let my people go. God promised. It's not happening. He's not doing it. There's a cosmic collision of kingdoms going on right now. When the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, whether it's in a political kingdom, a government, whether it's in our own lives, our own kingdoms, when those collisions come and when freedom is is brought forward and yet the powers that be want to hold on to it, it gets ugly. When slavery and oppression and abuse are confronted, they're not easily given up. When terror is confronted, it's not easily given up. These injustices, they fight back. It gets ugly. Look what happens now. We keep reading in Exodus 5, 6 through 9. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. Some of you guys are feeling like you're at work right now going, I've heard this story. This is much worse, right? They are lazy. That's why they are crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Well, load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. That's the nature of the abuse of power and a response to feeling threatened. What power does is power clamps down. Power is going to hold on. (laughs) Let there be no doubt who's in charge. Let me get these, let you get these silly ideas of going to worship God and having your freedom and, and thinking you have all these rights and these things. And you know, no, 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 I'm going to, we're going to clamp down. We're going to hold tight. And that's exactly what Pharaoh does. And especially oppressive powers do that in this world. We see it all the time. But it's also true and even more so true spiritually. 
the spiritual powers. If we live in the world and the understanding that we are spirit, that we are more than flesh and blood, that there is a God who is living, that there is an evil one who is trying to take our lives, who's trying to steal our lives, that when we try to find freedom, when you come to that place where you're saying, I think I want to lean into this faith thing a little bit more. I think I want to take a step of faith. I'm going to trust God for something in my life. You know what happens? The spiritual forces clamp down on you. Let there be no doubt about it. That when you want to do something significant for God, when you want to step out into something in your faith, it's going to get hard. And it's going to clamp down because Satan is not going down without a battle. He's not going to go down without a fight. And here's your encouraging word for today. I said it earlier. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. You can go home now. (laughs) You got your encouraging word from church. Anyone else actually experience this, or is this just a phrase on the screen? How many of you ever experienced that when you're trying to find and fight for something and go forward, that sometimes things get worse before they get better? It's a, it's a fact. We see, we see it in our lives, that, that, that we can still be in a difficult situation, that we're going through this, and we're saying, God, send rescue, and he gives us a plan, and things get worse before they get better. I've experienced it in my life many times where I've thought like, okay, we, we, we think of like this karma Christianity, which is not a real Christianity, by the way, which is like, okay, now things were, were bad, and, and, um, and so it went bad for a while, or the yin-yang Christianity, and now the next season's going to be good. Or go through something difficult, then the opposite, the, 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 the good has to come, and bad, and back and forth. Have you ever gone from bad to bad? And then now it's like, surely, God, now you've seen my plight, you've seen my plea, this next thing's going to be great. And then it goes bad again. And you go, what's going on? What's happening here? And, and the Israelites, now they're, they're, they're suffering under the Pharaoh's hand. Wait a second, I thought God came to rescue. I thought he brought us Moses. He's going to answer. And here we are having to work without you know, straw and make the same amount of bricks. And the slave drivers are coming down hard. And it actually says that the foreman got upset and they protested against Moses. I said, that's it. We're done. We don't want any more of this. Moses, leave us alone. It was better beforehand. And we're going to see a theme throughout the next couple of weeks of how people respond and how we respond when things get difficult. And we see, just like in our human nature, we want to quit. We want to throw in the towel or we want to give up on God. You know, sometimes it happens like you take a step of baptism. It's like, oh, my life is now. I've given over to God a new way of taking the step. And sometimes things get harder. And you find more challenge. You take that step of faith and things get more difficult. And you go, God, what's going on? And you want to give up. Well, Moses also complains to God. Moses now takes the same complaint to God. And we read about it in Exodus, the next verse here, 5, uh, 22 to 23. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesperson, he has been even more brutal to your people. And you have done nothing to rescue them. What's the famous three-letter word question that we, uh, that we ask all the time? <laughs> why? We want to know why. Why? It's one of the first questions little kids learn, right? Why? <laughs> Go to your room. Why? Eat your vegetables. Why? Why? We want to know why. Why, God? Moses is asking why. The foremen are asking why. Why is all this happening? How do I handle this? God, why are things as difficult as they are in my marriage? I thought we're trusting you in this. God, why is my health going in this direction? Why am I struggling with my job? Why are my finances in the situation they're in? Why do I have this difficult relationship with a friend or with a family member? Why? God, why are these things happening in this world? And we ask and we struggle when we're in the situation. 
it is normal and natural, and even Moses, one of the greatest leaders in our faith, asked the question, why, God? This doesn't seem to be what you had in mind. Then comes the word and reply from God, Exodus 6.1. Then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. Wait a second. 400 plus years of slavery and, and Pharaoh's clamping down. Things are actually getting worse. And God tells him, you know what? Actually, things are going to turn around. It's going to get to the point where Pharaoh is going to force you to leave. He's going to say, you have to go. I mean, we can't even comprehend this outcome. You might be a situation in your life where you're going, I cannot see any way out. I can't see any way forward. And God's going to turn that thing around. And God promised this to Moses. He's got a plan. And at that point, he reiterates to Moses, this is the promise. I told you, I will deliver my people. I will send you to the promised land. I will do it. But we stand in this moment of why and go, God, I don't understand. How can this happen? Why is it taking so long? In the New Testament, in Romans 8, we read this. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. That sometimes going through those difficult times, sometimes when we're in those places that are so hard, God is doing something in us. God is preparing us. And sometimes he's just stripping away layer by layer to a place where we can actually come before him and be ready. Well, it's time now. The promise has been made, and, and, and Moses now goes, I'm going to go before Pharaoh. And you know what he says and asks over and over, right? Let my people go. <laughs> Simple request. Let my people go. This is God saying, let my people go. These are God's people. These are, he wants them to, to, to be free. So it's time. It's time for a showdown. And you know what? It's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. All right? It's about to happen here. There's some big stuff going on. And God's power is going to be on full display. And we read in Exodus 7, 5, God says, When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When God intervenes, watch out. His powerful hand. Now let me just tell you, as, a, as we think about this theologically, as we think about this of who God is, there's often a tension that we face. And it's the tension between God's love and God's power. God's love versus God's power. Now, God's love, we all love God's love, right? God's love. That's where we want to camp out. We love God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's kindness, his patience with us. This is a God who just loves and loves and loves. And we lean into that. But this idea of God's power we're a little, we start getting a little more uncomfortable with that in our society, in modern Christianity. God's power, God's ultimate control, justice, that there's obedience that there, that he can call these things forth, and we don't know what to do sometimes with God's power and justice, so we'd rather lean into God's love, and we say it's one or the other. But friends, let me tell you, it's both. Thank you. <laughs> Spoiler alert. God's love and God's power. It's both. God is both. And actually what makes God's love so amazing is God's power. Because of the power that he holds and the power that he withholds at times makes God's love so amazing. And what makes God's power so powerful is that he has power filled with love. 
and what's best for us in the judgment. So when we look at this, we're going to see both sides in the story, and we're going to be uncomfortable with God's power at times. But we also have to understand God's full picture of what is happening. So now he goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. And now Pharaoh's about to go through a time where things get better before they get worse. So Moses appears before him with his brother Aaron, who was given to him as a helper to, to help him speak. And he's got his staff and his rod, and he tells, Moses, uh, he tells Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. And they have this, you know, interaction. And to show and demonstrate God's power, Moses and Aaron, right, they throw the staff down. And what happens to the staff? It turns into a snake. It was just, how did that happen? How did that, the Bible doesn't tell us how it happened. It was God's power revealed this. And all of a sudden, there's a snake on the ground. But unimpressed by this apparent miracle, the magicians that Pharaoh had around take their staffs, and they throw them on the ground, and voila, more snakes appear. Have you guys ever been to a magic show? Things that blow our mind. Even today, we're like in the year 2023, and we don't understand. How, how did that happen? How does that work? I don't understand, but their magicians were able to make it happen. But then God is about to let go, show off a little bit. That snake eats all of the magician snakes and then turns back into a rod. Go God, right? Don't mess with God. That's kind of a big deal. And so he's demonstrating his power. And so... We read, though, Pharaoh still isn't convinced. Pharaoh replies, it says in uh, Exodus 7, 13, Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. His heart was hard. And I wonder today if some of us, as we're hearing the story, maybe today we, re we relate less with the Israelites, maybe we relate more with Pharaoh. That... When the call comes to obey, to lean into God, to hear what he has, we relent and we, we, we won't let go and we harden our hearts. But this phrase that I find so interesting in here too, it says, just as the Lord had predicted. Do you know that phrase occurs seven times in these next couple chapters? Seven times. What's going on here? Our challenges, our opposition or the things that happen, they're not surprises to God. The things that we face, the things that come up, God understands and he knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. And so this was not a surprise to God. But now what's about to go down is the duel in the desert. Okay? That's what I call it. Duel in the desert. It's going to happen right now. And we, we can spend a lot of time on this, but I'm just going to go through. Because what, what begins to happen now is Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. Not going to do it. And so, all right. Moses says, well, there's going to be consequences. If you do not let my firstborn Israel, God refers to Israel as his firstborn, the nation again through which he will bless all the other nations, not to be the one special nation that's more special than everybody else, but to be his people that were chosen to be the blessing to the rest of the world, to show what a relationship with God looks like, to show what a people with obedience can look like and who follow God and who live by his standards, and that blessing would go out to all people. This was the people. They were his firstborn. He wouldn't let them go. And so what did Moses do? He said, well, we're going to turn all water to blood. And so then we begin to see these plagues. And the water to blood was significant. As he put his staff in the water, it turned to blood. Not just the water in the Nile, but in all the cisterns and, and jars all around. There was no water. They were digging, trying to find water somewhere. This was an affront directly to one of the key gods of Egyptian culture. The god of the Nile. Happy, H-A-P-I. Happy, happy. He wasn't so happy at the moment. But it was a moment 
dad joke. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it was a sign saying, look, this is, this is a God who you worship, and I'm going to show you who's God. Surely this will be a sign in seven days of this not having access, not having water, not being able to do this. Surely that'll happen. But you know what? Pharaoh hardened his heart. And even the magicians were able to do a trick where they turned water into red, into blood. But so we read in this series now, time and time again, this, this process happens over and over, a couple days at a time, a week at a time. And so these plagues that come, and you know what the next plague was? Was frogs. Frogs came, and frogs seemed like, whoa, what's so big deal about frogs? But wait till your whole city is infested with frogs. These guys look like they're out on the town, um, you know, in Italy somewhere. I don't know. Um, but then came the frogs. After that came gnats. Just gnats everywhere and just, you know, bugging and <laughs> bugging the people. Uh, that was another dad joke. I, and it just came out. I didn't even try. I'm just so pre-programmed to do this. Um, <laughs> then came the flies. The flies were everywhere. And imagine just all day long flies. And what was so interesting was these plagues were hitting the Egyptians in Ramesses in the city. But in Goshen on the outskirts where the people of God lived, there were not these plagues happening. And so there was a clear demarcation that, that God is inflicting this on a certain group of people and not on his people. And giving Pharaoh every chance to to change his mind, but that didn't happen. Then came the, the plague of the livestock, that the livestock were, was devastated everywhere. Then came boils, and this was one where even the magicians themselves got boils, we read about that, so like try doing that. Hail, locusts, I mean just annihilation, I mean just one thing after another after another, and every time the opportunity was there, let my people go. I'm giving you the chance. Do that. You won't. I'm going to make it harder and harder. And it seemed that after this one, that Pharaoh was getting ready to say, okay, okay. And a couple times he says, all right, all right, go. But then he changes his mind. He's wearing down. He's getting everybody, but he's not ready yet. Then comes darkness, three days of, of utter darkness. And after that, Pharaoh says, okay, you guys can go, but don't take your livestock. Don't take your things. Just, just go for a time. And Moses is like, no, no. God said everything. Everyone goes, all things go, and he said, no, it is not happening. Moses, the next time, the next time you see me, if we meet eyes again, you're dead. Don't come back here no more. It's over. Clamping down the power. Well, God had one more harsh consequence that we read about, and it's the last plague. It's the death of Egypt's firstborn. Remember, I told you Israel was God's firstborn, as he refers to it. He's saying, you're not going to let my firstborn go. It's going to come at the expense of your firstborn, of every firstborn livestock from the servant to Pharaoh himself to your son. None will be spared. And we look at this and we think, oh, that is so harsh. That is tough. It's tough to read. It's tough to think about. But the firstborn and the first had a significance, a huge significance throughout the Bible. The firstborn was the heir. It was the continuation of power, of authority, of wealth, of family, of honor. The firstborn held that position. And the idea of first things was all part of the, the culture, was all part of the system that God had created, that, that things would be put in the right order. We talked about our giving and our finances, seeing the first part, the first fruits, those belong to God, that the first part is a way of honoring who God is and what he's given to us. What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I am first. That seems egotistical. It seems like, what is God trying to say? Well, we have to understand God is all-powerful. And if we don't understand his preeminence and his first place in our lives, nothing else falls into the right order. 
But if it does, there is freedom and there's life. And so he says, the firstborn, you're not letting my firstborn go. The consequence is hard. I've given you many chances. So that night, after the Israelites have been in captivity for 430 years, there comes this assignment, this way to avoid this plague for them. And Moses tells them, look, you need to put door on the blood of your doorposts. An innocent lamb needs to be killed, and you will sacrifice that lamb. You will eat that dinner, you will eat that meal together, and you will hunker down in your homes, and you will take the blood of that lamb, and you will put it on the doorposts of your, of your house, and you'll smear it. And you go, that's kind of gruesome, kind of gross. I haven't seen that done lately in any of the neighborhoods around Columbus. You'd kind of be like, well, it's crazy. What's going on here? You spread the door on the doorpost. Well, in Exodus 12, we read this, 12 to 13. On that night, the Lord said, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in, in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. And that night was called the Passover. So you wonder where the Passover came from. It came from this night that the Passover, that the judgment of death, the judgment on the firstborn, that judgment would pass over them and they would not experience that death. And so they celebrated this, this event and they got together in that night and spent time with family and we're protected in that moment. But there was one other instruction. And here's one more thing. It says this in Exodus 12, 11. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. <laughs> By the way, have a nice meal, but make sure you got your backpack on, you got your hiking boots ready to go, you got your keys in your car, it's fully gassed up, because here's what's coming, what's happening, right? They don't know yet, but this is the night of freedom. This is the night that's going to change everything. This is going to turn the story around. This is how rescue is coming. But it's not until it was an awful and amazing and powerful night. Have you ever seen the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie? Yeah. It's hard not to picture this if you've seen that, right? And uh, I remember seeing it when I was still a kid, and this was the most terrifying part of the whole movie, right? If, you, if you've seen the movie, if not, go watch it. We're in the series. It would be great to, to just see that movie. And, and it's this night scene, and people are beginning to huddle in their houses. The, the, the Hebrews are beating there. They're putting the blood on the doorpost, and, and night is falling. And then you see the Egyptians, you see Pharaoh in his palace, and here comes the angel of death, and it's represented as like this blue mist fog that kind of comes past the, past the moon, and then it kind of hovers, it goes down into the city, and now it's like kind of working its way through the streets. And all of a sudden you hear like, like screeches in the distance. It's like chilling. It's like death. There's things that are happening, and it comes up to the homes where there's blood, and it's almost like sees the blood, but then continues on. And it's like, I don't know how it happened. I don't know if that's what it was like, but it gives me goosebumps even as I'm telling it. I scare myself. Um, but it was a scary, it was an awful night. And, and so that night, though, things changed, and it represented God's judgment. Oh, I forgot we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> We don't want to talk about disobeying God. We don't want to talk. We only want to know God's love. But there is a reality that God is powerful in disobedience and ultimately does not lead us to life and does not lead us to freedom. And so that night happens. And Israel's firstborn 
is saved and Egypt's firstborn is lost all the way up to the palace where Pharaoh is grieving the loss of his son. And it was this night that these forces wouldn't tyrannize humanity any longer, that it was this night that freedom would come. They were finally free. And just as God had predicted, that next morning was an amazing morning. And through the grief and the sorrow that that Pharaoh experienced, he said, get out! (laughs) It was no longer let my people go begging. It was go, go be gone. I don't want to see, we can't take any of this anymore. And just as the Lord predicted, they were forced to leave. And with that, they took things with them and possessions, and the Egyptians actually loaded them down with goods and, and, and possessions that, that they left, and it was a celebration. It was, we're heading to the promised land. Rescue has come, and we are on our way. And so they go, and they head out, and it's an amazing thing after 400 years of slavery. And then Moses said to the people, we read it in chapter 13, 3, this is the day to remember forever. The day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery, today the Lord has brought you out by the power of what? His mighty hand. So many times throughout the Bible then we read that God is now referred to as the God who rescued you, the God who saved you uh, from Egypt, the God who rescues you from slavery. That's an identity of who God is, that he is a God that brings and leads us to freedom. So what do we think about that for us? What does that look like? Sometimes we're in the situation, we cry out to God, we're calling to him, but things often get worse before they get better. Because if we are in oppression, if we are being held down, if we are being held captive, that's not going to be an easy thing to let go, whether it's through spiritual forces, whether it's through earthly forces, there's a battle that's about to ensue. But what did I say earlier? The only path to true free, total freedom is true surrender. Other way around, true, true freedom is total surrender. So I think about this, right? Go back to these guys, right? <laughs> Such a simple little illustration, but the only path to true freedom. You can fight, you can fight, you can fight, you can fight God, you can fight everything about you in your life, and you can fight and fight, and the more you just get yourself trapped. And it's so counterintuitive, but to get free, you surrender. You let go. You stop fighting. And you say, God, I trust you. God, I surrender to you. And that's when we begin to find freedom. Have you ever had uh, to deal with a kid that's throwing a tantrum, a young kid, just crazy and fighting? And what happens? You know, you know how you calm them down? You yell more at them. You get more angry. You tell them to buck up. You tell them to figure it out. But have you ever just taken them and said, just a tight embrace, a tight hold, and you feel the struggle and you feel the, the tension. But if you hold on long enough, you just calm down, you breathe, and then when that child finally goes, there's a freedom there. But we fight and we resist and we struggle and we fight with God. But God's calling us to give up our lives. He's saying, don't just give them up because you'll lose them. Give them up because you'll find them. That's where true life is found, Matthew 16. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. We can't save ourselves. We are stuck. Ephesians 2 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It's by God's grace. It's by what he's done for us. It's by us falling on him and saying, Lord, I need your rescue, and I just need to surrender to that. And in that moment, we find love. We find life. We find hope. 
And in the story, even though we see God's power so evident, his love is evident too in the patience that he demonstrates, in the time that he gives. And so for us in the New Testament, we read in 2 Peter, it says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. This is God's patience, God's love on display. You may have been attending this church for years. You come to worship and you're here because you know people, but have you ever taken that step of saying, God, I totally surrender my life to you? Full grace, full surrender. God, I give it to you. God is being patient with you. He wants to give you every opportunity and to say, look, lay down your life and begin to see the freedom. Stop fighting, stop resisting, but he's patient and he's waiting. And he's saying, do it now while there's time. Pharaoh had time. Do it now while there's time. One of the most powerful verses we read in in the New Testament is in Philippians chapter 2. Because there's a day coming. God's power, God's love. There's a day coming. It says this, Therefore God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day coming where every knee will bow. Every single one of us in here, everyone listening online, everyone on planet earth will bend their knee and bow to their Lord, the Lord of all lords. And he's saying, this is God's power. It's God's authority. It's it's what makes us want to love him so much. It's not what makes us fear him, but it's one to make us respect him and to realize this God loves us so much. He wants us to experience freedom to do that now. So as they, we come back to the story, as they leave and they go, there's still some further instructions in Exodus 12. We read this, and Exodus 13 says, Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread. Remember, the bread didn't have a chance to rise. They were getting ready to go, and so the Passover, celebrate. For it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe the ceremony. So just when you get in the promised land, you're going to continue to do it. And then in Exodus 13, and in the future, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? Then you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our, our slavery. This is going to be a sign for all generations. It's a story that continues. It wasn't just the Exodus once. It continues for generation to generation, a reminder that this is the God who saves. What he did then, he will be able to continue to do in our lives. Never forget this. And so the story is told from generation to generation to generation for hundreds of years. And then one night, they're celebrating the Passover again. The people come and get together. And there's a rabbi, a teacher, who's got some students. He wants to teach them about the the Passover and spend this meal together with them. And so they gather in a room. It's a rabbi who has 12 disciples with him. And they begin to share the Passover And as Jesus is there at the table, the disciples had had practiced this their whole life. They knew what the story was. Yeah, the story of Egypt and the story of the lamb and the story of of just, you know, the angel of death passing over us and that there's new life. And yes, Jesus, we we know the story. And Jesus goes to the table. And he gets to the table. He he breaks the bread like he he gets to the table. He 
like he did and everyone did during that time, and he broke it, but he changed the story. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. What is Jesus talking about? What is Jesus talking about? I just want you to hold on to your elements for a little. I know you're getting ready. Get them ready. That's all good. We've got to remember, we've got to eat with sandals and a backpack. We've got to be ready to go. You guys are getting ready to go. Jesus changed the meaning. Jesus changed the focus. And his disciples are, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> My body broken for you. And then he takes this cup and he says, it's a cup of the new covenant. This cup represents my blood spilled for you for the forgiveness of sins. What, Jesus, what are you talking about? He's giving new meaning. He's changing what this is all about. And, and, and we, we have this picture of this, the, the cross, this bloody image this, the, of a cross that, that stood and that Jesus was, was talking to us about. And the blood-stained cross is our new doorway to freedom. Do you know what the blood-stained cross? What is that cross? The, the cross is the wooden doorposts. And it is now with Jesus' blood on them. He's saying there is a new path forward where death will pass you by, where you can have eternal life, where you can find freedom. And it's through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And as we think about that story, and we think about the angel of death and the lives that were lost, and we think how maybe, was that cruel of God? Was that right? How, how do we understand that he saved some and he didn't save others? Look what it says in Romans chapter 8, 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? See, in the end, Jesus said, I'm willing to give you everything. This isn't some kind of power trip. This is about rescuing. This is about saving you. It's about surrendering. And he did it himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus on the cross, total surrender to win us total victory. It is the inverse picture, upside down kingdom. In this world, it's about authority. It's about power. It's about oppression. It's about rule and, and force and might. And the kingdom of God is no, 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 where victory lies is in surrender, in giving up, and in that beginning to be empowered in a way that no outside force can ever take anything away from you. No matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what cards uh, life deals you, whatever you're going through, you have a power and a peace inside of you because of what Christ did on that cross. And so as we go to God in communion today, as we take this moment, before you take the elements, I just want you to hold on to them or take a moment of reflection. I want you to think, where in my life have I not fully surrendered to God? Where am I still holding on? Where am I still pulling? What am I not willing to let go? What is my fear? Bring that before God. Share that with him. And then we'll go and we'll take the elements together and I'll lead us through that time. Let's just take a few moments to reflect. Let's take the body of Christ together, the bread.
Let's take the cup. Heavenly Father, what an amazing story of the way that you bring rescue. You brought it then. You want to continue to bring it to us today. Father, help us see the beauty of surrender, that it's in that surrender we find life, we find power, we find love, we find hope. Help us to lower our defenses and our resistance, God, and just to yield to you to submit ourselves to you. Father, I pray for the challenges that are being faced by those in the sound of my voice here. Father, marriages that are struggling, relationships between parents and children or siblings. Father, a health issue that just seems overwhelming. Father, a financial burden that just doesn't seem to be lifting. Father, tension at, at work or with a neighbor or with a friend or just a difficult life situation, decisions that need to be made. But Father, more than anything, I pray for the sins, the things in our lives that are just holding us back from total surrender to you. Father, that we would find, find, find spiritual freedom in you, new life in you that we can walk in that assurance, God, that we can step out of captivity like the, the Israelites did on that day, that next morning, just marching out, ready to embrace and to head towards the promised land for what you have, to finally be free. God, would you lead us in that way? Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for your blood on those doorposts that made a new way for us, that death would not have the final word, that we would have life and resurrection and hope in you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.